So today I have Courtney Truitt with me and I'm really excited about interviewing her. She's a Paralympian, she's a teacher, and she's going to offer some insight into her experience growing up and then also what she does with her kids now, uh, specifically offering advice to parents who have children with special needs and helping everybody advocate for their child and anything else that she wants to share. Courtney, do you mind just telling us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so um, people may know me as Courtney Jordan. I actually just got married a month ago, so now I'm Courtney Truitt. And um, my background is in swimming mainly. I started swimming at the age of like three because my, um, my grandpa was actually one of the founders of the Swimming Hall of Fame in Florida. Oh my gosh. And so then my dad was a swimmer because of my grandpa. And then I was a swimmer because of my grandpa. So we all just kind of, we were a swimming family. Yeah. And it's so when I was blood. born, yeah, it's in my blood. I didn't really have a choice. Yeah. I, <laughs> I also really wanted to be like my sister and my sister loved swimming. So I just kind of swam anyways. And my parents were really um, all about treating me like, I could do anything like they never really set limitations on what I could do because of my disability. Um, and they tried to give me everything that I needed to succeed. Um, so they let, they were just like, yeah, she's on the swim team. And it wasn't, I swam in able-bodied competitions my whole life. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was in, um, eighth grade when I was invited to a small meet in San Diego and when I was there, it was um, called the UCP meet and for, stands for United Cerebral Palsy meet. Wow. And um, it was a bunch of people in the area with disabilities. And it was my first taste of the Paralympics. And while I was there, Michael DeMarco, who is an amazing um, Paralympic swimmer with cerebral palsy, he came up to me and he was like, you're really good. Do you know that you're really good? And I had like no idea that I was fast because... I always compared myself to able-bodied swimmers, yeah. and so I came in last every time. Yeah. And um, I, he told me to go to nationals, and I went to nationals at 14, not thinking anything. I was just kind of like, cool, nationals. Like a swimming, it's a swimming competition. Yes. Yeah, just the, the national championships for swimming, um, the Paralympic national championships. And it was my first taste of Paralympics, like on the big stage. And I was just kind of like there swimming, doing my thing. I, you know, didn't really take it seriously. And I didn't know that it was the trials for world championships. And <laughs> I swam the 400 freestyle and I touched the wall and everyone was like going crazy. And I was like, okay, like I just swam a 400 freestyle. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they were cheering because I swam it with Erin Popovich. She was in the lane next to me. And we were like, it was a good race. So I just thought, cool, we had a really good race. Um, but then the announcer came on and he was like, ladies and gentlemen, these two women just went one, two in the world. So wow. little did I know, like my first, one of my first um, finals at nationals put me second in the world in swimming. And I just kind of took off from there. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Yeah. I pause you just for a second, okay. just for the listeners. Do you mind um, describing just your diagnosis and if you felt like when you were swimming, how that impacted you? I know you said that you came in last, but were you like, 
I'm, I'm just curious. And, and if your yeah. parents, because we have parents on here, if your parents mm-hmm. said anything to you, I know they just put you in able-bodied competitions. Yeah. And Yeah. So my parents would always tell me that my body was different than other people's bodies. So like not to, sorry, that's my dog. My, <laughs> my parents would always tell me to, you know, not worry about what other people were doing and just focus on my own race um, and not to compare myself. My, with my diagnosis for cerebral palsy, you know, there's so many different diagnoses and this, it just affects everyone differently. Um, mine affects my, my left side. I'm a hemi is what, you know, a shortened version of it. It only affects my left side. Um, I'm still able to walk. I'm ambulatory. Um, but I do really struggle in the water to kick. I don't really kick at all. I can kind of push off the wall. Um, and I can use my arms in freestyle and backstroke, but not in butterfly or breaststroke. The thing that really impacts me is simultaneous motion. So if I'm trying to move both of my arms at the same time, I just, my brain, it doesn't function the way that I want it to. And I only end up moving my right side and my left side kind of gets dragged behind. But I've been working you know, I, I swam for so many years that I really were, and I worked with some of the best coaches to learn how to get around that and kind of still, and, um, be as streamlined as possible in the water. And, um, like I said, my parents, they really wanted to give me every opportunity. So they saw that I liked swimming. So they just put me in able-bodied swimming. And I mean, at the time too, I don't think that they knew, um, what was out there you know, Paralympics wasn't very well known. Right. And that was, do you mind me asking what year, what years that was? Like I grew up in the eighties. Yeah. So I started swimming in the nineties, like mid nineties. And then I swam through, I mean, I swam age group swimming through 2009 is when I graduated high school. Um, And so, and then I actually swam for college as well. Okay, great. Yeah. And were you just on your college team, did you have to do anything like special in terms of like applications or were they? So it was very funny coming um, back from the Paralympics because in the Paralympics, I went to the Paralympics my first time when I was 17 and I was a senior in college and um, in college or a senior in high school. Sorry. You're like, wait, you're a genius too. No, um, sorry. I misspoke. I was a senior in high school and I came back and I was determined to swim in college because I, I really wanted that experience, that camaraderie being on a team is like such a great experience and so good for, you know, developing social skills and just feeling that sense of belonging And so I knew that I wanted to be on my college team and everywhere that I applied, like each coach kind of turned me down. Um, At the time, you know, Paralympics weren't very well known and there were very few coaches who were willing to work with me. Um, I finally found two that would work with me. One was the coach at Chapman University and the other was the coach at California Lutheran University. And I won a scholarship to Calu. So I was like, all right, I'm going to Calu. Um, and I didn't have to do anything special, but I think that my coach definitely had to, to change some things and kind of learn how we had to learn how to work together because he called me the energizer bunny. I would try to do everything that the able body athletes would try to do. 
mm-hmm. and I would just burn out and I would just keep going and I wouldn't rest. And yeah. he was really the one that was like, okay, I know you don't want to, you know, think of yourself as just different and you don't want to kind of like, um, you, I know that you can do everything that these guys can do, but it might not be beneficial for you to do everything that they're doing. So he really like, he was such a game changer. His name's Tom Dodd, such a game changer in my swimming career because he really modified everything for me. Yeah. And going back um, just to when you're getting into college, like even before that, so you're on your high school swim team. Did you feel (laughs) like everybody was accepting like, you are part of the crew because I know a lot of parents are, are fearful too. Um, like when they have a child who has any sort of disability, if they're put on a team and having them participate and having the coach be like as responsive to their needs and, and everything that kind of goes with that. I think that it's definitely a matchmaking game. You have to find the right coach and who's accepting. And you, I think the coach, just like as a teacher, the teacher and the coach kind of set the tone. Like if the teacher's accepting and willing to work with the kid, the kids usually follow suit like the rest of the group. Um, I felt so accepted. My team voted me most inspirational four years in a row. They um, I was team captain of my high school team and of my college team. Like they were so supportive and like always helping me. Um, personally, I need help off like on and off blocks. Mm-hmm. And people would like, fight to help me. They'd be like, Oh, I'll help you this time. Or I'll help you this time. Like I had such a supportive team in college and in high school, um, that I never felt like I could felt like I could ask them for anything. And I never felt like I was, um, in the way or doing anything different. They kind of understood that, um, you know, I had, my needs were different and the coach really set the tone for that. So my suggestion for any mothers out there, fathers out there who, um, are looking to get their kid into athletics and you don't have a program that specializes with different needs, just go for an able-bodied class and just find the right coach. Yeah. And is there, um, I think that's such good advice and I think it can apply to kind of anything and and everybody like finding the person who kind of understands you and can be an advocate for you and your own needs Mm -hmm. and your strengths as well. Um, My, I was curious, did your coach or did you ever have to talk about like what cerebral palsy is? Because I think that there's, you know, a lot of um, like growing up a lot of kids who don't even know and was there education around that or did your parents step in or anything you'd recommend? Yeah, I think that when I was younger, my parents were definitely the ones doing that. They were the ones, you know, explaining to the coach, um, you know, this is her disability. This is how it affects her breaststroke and butterfly are hard. They would go over all that. Um, But as I got older, probably when I was about 12, I started, you know, advocating for myself and explaining my disability. And I mean, I think that's the best way to do it. If your child is able to um, advocate for themselves, try to teach them how to do that because every disability is different and every person is different. So it's hard for your parents, even though your parents do, even though as parents, you know, your kid better than anyone, your kid knows themselves better than you, you know? So like a lot of times my parents might try to speak for me and they do such a good job. My parents were incredible, or they still are incredible. Um, but I feel like I had a better way of explaining it because it was happening to me. So 
Um, if your child's able to speak up for themselves and advocate for themselves, I suggest you try and teach them how to do that. Like try to tell, um, teach them how to explain what they're feeling and what's hard for them and what they need help with. Um, and the more they practice that, the easier it'll get. And because um, I mean, the goal and any parent's goal is to create a really an independent child or as most independent as possible. And um, so right. that, you know, that practicing it um, is really helpful. But if your child needs that assistance, then, you know, um, parents, it's always great to advocate for them and explain because as parents, you do know that your child better than anyone else. Yeah, I think advocacy is, is such a good, um, it's such a good skill. And I think it's very easy to, for everybody, including myself to kind of throw around like, well, your child needs to advocate. But as you kind of pointed out, it takes a lot of practice. And so I think that you have to uh, you know, put your child in the right environment so that they feel comfortable enough to advocate and really be able to let them experience like their strengths and, and things that maybe they're not as good at so that then, then they can explain it and really be comfortable asking for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of goes back to the story, I, or I was thinking of the story you were telling in college where you were trying to do everything that your teammates are doing. And your coach was like, instead of you being like, gosh, you know, I can't really do that. Like, because sometimes you, you, and everybody goes through this. You don't necessarily want to admit that it's hard for you. You don't want to be different or you don't want to, to be perceived as different or that you can't do something. And so I think that kind of having continuous conversations with, um, you know, parents, and this might be a good segue into what you're doing now, like as a teacher and even how teachers could practice with the child, how to advocate for themselves, or is there anything that you specifically do in the classroom or specific Um, kids to help them advocate for themselves and kind of learn that skill? Yeah, so I think that um, one thing that I do in my classroom that is really important is we have social emotional learning. And in the social emotional learning, I think that as adults, we forget that a lot of those skills and emotions and talking about those things, they aren't something that we just have, we have to learn it and we have to practice it just like any skill, like riding a bike, you have to really practice it to get better at it. So in my classroom, I really um, promote, you know, speaking up for yourself, yourself, explaining how you are um, feeling and what you're thinking in a respectful way. And we practice that often, like week after week after week, we practice it because it's such an important skill. And like I said, it's not like innate, you have to teach it and you have to practice it for you to feel comfortable with it. Right. And I think that it also creates more of like an inclusive environment, especially in terms of if everybody is advocating for their own needs, then when someone is advocating for themselves, like I need help with like this, or I need help, you know, putting this away, then others would be more willing to step up and help them because they're also advocating for their needs at a different time. Do you see that in your classroom? Absolutely. My kids, it's, It's really great to see. And I wish that I was in the classroom because in the virtual environment, it is a lot more challenging. But I just see a lot of kids learning how to speak up. And sometimes we have to tell them. Sometimes I'm like, no one's saying anything, but they got this wrong on the quiz. Like, let's learn how to speak and like, let's stop and think and figure out a solution. And I've just noticed that a lot of my kids are just a lot more accepting and they... Um, it's really cool because they will, if they see someone struggling, 
they will try to advocate for them too. How old are the kids in your classroom? Like what age is this? My kids are 10 and 11. And so I think that it's definitely different with younger kids because younger kids, you know, it's like herding cats sometimes with younger kids. So it's really challenging. And, but now that they're getting a little bit older with 10 and 11, they're really good at, um, they're getting better at advocating for themselves. They're still learning it, but it definitely is an inclusive environment because um, I'm also really big about making mistakes and like learning from them. And so my kids at this point, they're just like, Oh, you made a mistake. That's so good. Like, good for you for trying. Like, in the virtual learning world, they're doing, like, the little clapping emoji when my kids are making mistakes because they're trying. Wow, that's that's really cool. Yeah. That is incredible. And I think that, I mean, advocacy, you think, could be done with a child, like, at any age, like, teaching them that. And I guess my other question to that would be, do you find that you have to then, you know, teach children to help others or just because they're advocating for themselves kind of that part fall falls naturally like follows naturally because I think a lot of parents are like can you help can like you know trying to teach this kindness versus maybe having it be more of like an innate way of doing it I think kindness is um, something you have to teach too and I think that as adults you know we forget about that because we're so far away from the point where we had to learn it that we don't really remember that, you know, we have to practice, kids have to practice those skills and have those models. Models are like amazing for them to see. So um, when we're forming classrooms, we always try to think, okay, we need some role models in this classroom who will, you know, help and assist because seeing that, that's such good practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I, when I was in my internship, I had um, this little girl and she was having trouble, you know, not um, sharing. She just loved to just blurt out the answer to everything. And there was another little girl who was such a good role model and would sit on the carpet and give her like a reminder and just like tap her gently and do like this. And she did it in such a sweet way. Mm -hmm. Um, And that like really helped her because that was a friend. She did it in such a friendly way. And so I think that one thing I'm trying to teach my kids too is, you got to think about how you're trying to help people and how you're trying to advocate for people because um, teaching them how to do that in a kind way, it can kind of come across as inappropriate sometimes. Right. You don't want them to be like bossy or trying to control, but also coming from a place of, yeah, kindness. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that is, is so incredible because I'm always talking about how can we be more inclusive and, and I'm really a strong believer in, if we want to create an inclusive world, really starting with children mm-hmm. too, and kind of building in that acceptance. And I think part of that is, you know, the advocacy piece. And part of that, like you said, is, is kind of having role models to show kindness. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other kind of tips around that that you found in your classroom or anywhere else? Um, I'm trying to think. I, I really think that role models are like the best. Um, you could show examples on TV. I mean, parents you guys are the biggest role models. And I think that a lot of times people don't think that their kids are watching them, but kids are soaking up everything, like everything that I do, every interaction, I really try to like make sure that I'm being my kindest self possible. And that's how it is with parenting as well. I think that when you're out in the world and you're 
at the grocery store and you see someone who needs help. I know in this environment, it's kind of like a little challenging, but mm-hmm. always trying to help anyone outside um, in the outside world. It's just, um, it's, it's all about learning and it's also about grace. I would say, I think that when you do, I mean, your kid does have an issue or, um, there's an issue at school, just having grace and, and understanding that these kids are still learning. Yeah. It's such a learning process. Yeah. I think that that's such a good point. Um, another thing I wanted to ask is when you start the school year, is there something that you do to kind of set the tone in terms of advocacy, especially, you know, having a disability yourself, do you get questions from the kids? Do you, uh, you know, something that I teach my kids is it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to be curious because, I think that if we don't allow kids to be curious, then it, it turns into like, they might perceive it as, oh, that's bad. Or, you know, like having negative versus like, what are you curious about? Like, let's talk to this person. Um, and I'm wondering what kind of what you do, like maybe in life and then also just, you know, in the classroom too. So I'm really open about my disability and I don't mind talking about it, but there are some people who don't like to talk about their disability. And so that's kind of what I start off with, with my kids, because Um, I'm completely open and I will answer any questions that they have as long as they're appropriate, you know, I will answer any questions. And so I say, you can ask me anything. Um, and I tell them about my disability. I tell them how it might impact me. I tell them, Hey, I might need to sit down in the middle of this lesson because I'm exhausted. And, um, I taught these kids, this group of kids that I have this time, I taught them last year too, because I was in fourth grade and I moved to fifth. And this year, I feel like they really know me and they know me better and they can advocate for me almost (laughs) like they'll notice when I'm, it's one of my bad days with like movements just a little bit harder. And um, they'll be like, Miss Jordan, like, make sure you're sitting down. You don't need to stand for this. You know, like they'll, they'll help me out. Um, But then I also teach them that like, if someone isn't comfortable sharing, then that's okay too. Because I think it's, it's their body, it's their disability, and it's their choice. So if you notice that someone has a disability and you have a question, you can ask kindly. But if they don't want to respond, that's okay too. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I think that also I was curious about if you have children with special needs or, or disabilities in your class, um, is there something that you do to help kind of promote this inclusivity or you just kind of start with that and then everything else kind of follows? I don't think that there's anything that I necessarily like highlight in the class. Um, I start and I explain my situation and then I don't really, um, just for privacy purposes and for um, just the out of respect for my kids, I really try not to highlight any of their disabilities because I, I do have the inclusive classroom. And I think that um, I want them to be seen for so much more than their disability. And I just want my, I don't want to start off being like um, the kids noticing them for their disability. I want the kids to know them for um, who they are as learners and what they bring to the table in in terms of their kindness and their um, hard work and their dedication. And I try to just highlight those facts more. And Mm -hmm. I think that maybe me bringing attention to the kids kindness and their, um, hard work or like their successes. Mm -hmm. I think that that in a way is 
help helping to develop the inclusivity of the classroom because they start to see the kids as more than their disabilities as well. They see them for their, the good things. Yeah, right. I think the disability is positive, but, or isn't positive, but you know what I mean? Like they yeah, see them right. for their human traits instead of their, like their personality. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I understand what you're saying. Um, would you have any advice for a parent who is, um, you know, every year they have to transition to a new teacher and they want to advocate for their child, but at the same time, like you pointed out, they don't want their child just to be seen for the dis- their his or her disability. And so do you, because not all teachers, I feel like are as inclusive as you, not because they don't try to be or they don't want to be, but because maybe they don't have as much like experience or, or around it, or they're just not sure what to say, or um, do you have any advice for parents? Um, so, I mean, I can't speak for on behalf of every teacher, but personally, I want to know about your kid and I want to know more than just their disability. So what I do Um, at the start of every year is I have my parents fill out a form and it's kind of like, what makes my child happy? What makes my child sad? What makes my child upset? Like, what should I look for if your child, if my child is sad, like what's some things that could cheer them up or like anything else that I should know, just kind of like a basic fact sheet. Because like I said before, parents know their kid and I'm just starting to get to know them. And And parents could probably create that if their teacher doesn't have one and just um, having that information on there. And yeah, exactly. So my suggestion would just to be provide the teacher with information and make sure that it's more than just their disability so that they can really see the whole person and not focus on the disability. Because I think that when you go into it and you're like, this is my child's disability and this is their needs, that's fantastic and wonderful. But also maybe include that your kid loves baseball. Also maybe include, because I, as a teacher, and I know that a ton of teachers do this, teaching works better when you're teaching for your kids, not teaching to your kids, you're teaching for them. And so I'm, as a teacher, I'm always like, okay, this kid likes violin, this math problem is gonna be about her violin minutes this week. Mm -hmm. You know, I try to include them in the problems. I try to include them I try to find books that work for them. And, and so I think that the best way to help your teacher um, is to give them a look at your child as a whole. Yeah, I think that's great, great advice. And we're um, just about out of time, Courtney, but I so, so appreciate you chatting. And I think that was all amazing. Is there anything else that um, you want to add? I think that the last statement about kind of for parents, what, what to kind of do when you're meeting a new teacher is really, really helpful. Thank you. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to share that we didn't really get to go over? I didn't ask. I don't think so. Just make sure that you're not afraid to speak up for your kid, but also make sure that you are working on, you know, trying to help them advocate for themselves so they can be as independent as possible. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for chatting. I so appreciate it. It was amazing to talk with you. And obviously, you're an incredible teacher and athlete and everything else. So thank you so much. I <laughs> That's like the best compliment you could give me is saying that I'm a good teacher. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's very obvious. So um, your kids are lucky to have you. Thank but, you. Yeah. And maybe we'll get to do one maybe even post COVID when you return to the classroom, it would be really great to have more um, I know the parents would love to have more kind of strategies around even 
the information to give about their child, which you did go over. And then also like maybe even throughout the year, um, how to continually advocate because it's not just ever a one-time thing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you want me back, I'll be here. Perfect. Thank you so much, Courtney. I so appreciate it. Have a good afternoon. You too. Bye. Bye.